Hope everyone is doing well this morning. Um, so good to be back with you. And this morning's session, I'm going to give you a very brief overview of my seminar entitled Clouds Without Water. And Clouds Without Water is a reference in the book of Jude, verse 12. Jude refers to false teachers in a number of different ways. He says they are hidden reefs in your love feasts. They feast with you without fear, caring only for themselves. And that is one of the hallmarks of a false teacher. A false teacher does not care about you, does not care about God, cares only about himself or herself. And then Jude says that they are clouds without water. And the picture there that Jude draws for us is that false teachers have the appearance of having some nourishment, but no sustenance ever falls from them. They leave the ground below them dry and parched. And my seminar deals specifically with what is known as the Word of Faith movement. The Word of Faith movement is the proper term given to a movement that's more commonly known as the health and wealth gospel, the name it and claim it gospel, the prosperity gospel. Basically the doctrine that says it is always God's will for a Christian to be wealthy and it's always God's will for a Christian to be physically healed. We should never be sick. Or if you do get sick, then physical healing is guaranteed, provided that you have enough faith, provided that you make the right positive confessions, provided that you sow enough seed into some minister's ministry. In other words, sow seed so you can reap a harvest. Give him money so God will bless you. If you ever hear a preacher tell you, sow seed into my ministry so you can reap a harvest, run like the wind. You know you're dealing with a false teacher. And uh, you'll also hear me use a term, New Apostolic Reformation, N-A-R. Uh, New Apostolic Reformation is a twin movement to the Word Faith movement. It's everything Word Faith is, even worse. It has uh, even greater emphasis on modern-day signs and wonders, modern-day apostles, and so there's a little bit of a distinction, but there's not a lot of difference. So really the only distinction is, is more or less in their eschatology. But um, the Word Faith Movement, NAR Movement, they're led by people such as Benny Hinn, Kenneth and Gloria Copeland, Creflo Dollar, Jesse Duplantis, Joyce Meyer, Joseph Prince, Joel Osteen, Andrew Womack. Uh, undoubtedly, you've heard many of these names. Uh, and it, it dominates what we see today on Christian cable and satellite television, TBN, Daystar. Uh, when you turn on Christian TV, upwards of 95% of what you see on Christian television is this health and wealth, name and claim it, prosperity gospel. So I want to give you a little bit of an overview of this movement. Uh, my seminar in totality is, is about eight hours in length, but we're, of course, not going to be here for eight hours. So I'm just going to give you a very cursory overview. What a lot of people don't realize is that the health and wealth gospel is not just about health and wealth. The health and wealth gospel is actually rooted in the metaphysical cults like Christian science, new age, new thought, Gnosticism. And what we have today in the modern word faith movement is essentially cultic doctrine cultic philosophy that has been wrapped in some Christian lingo to make it appear to be Christian when it in fact is not. 
Phineas Quimby, we could call the great-grandfather of the Word Faith Movement, Quimby was the father of a metaphysical cult known as New Thought. And New Thought essentially held that whatever you think about, you will attract to yourself. So if you think positive, happy thoughts, your positive, happy thoughts will go out into the ether somewhere and will engage universal laws of attraction. And then the universe will bring positive, happy things to you. Conversely, if you think negative thoughts, then your negative thoughts will go out there somewhere and will engage universal laws of attraction, and then the universe will bring negative things to you. He was a student of occultism, hypnosis, and parapsychology, and his theoretical formulation served as what is the basis for what is today known as Christian science. Mary Baker Eddy was a student of Phineas Quimby, and she took his teachings, developed them further from that, formed what is today known as Christian science. Uh, you've probably heard of Christian science. It's very poorly named, by the way, because Christian science is neither Christian nor is it scientific. But there are a lot of Christian science overtones in the modern word faith movement, one of which is the denial of physical symptoms when it comes to sickness and disease. If you have a friend or a family member who is involved in this movement to some degree, you might notice that if they get sick, then they deny that they're sick. Uh, maybe they have a cold and their eyes are watering, their nose is running, they're sneezing, you know, they're running a fever and it's obvious that they have a cold. But if you were to ask them, well, how are you feeling? And they'd say, oh, I'm fine. But, you know, they're not going to confess that. They're not going to confess that they have a cold because if they do so, then their words, which have supposedly inherent creative power in and of themselves, would entrench that reality. So they won't confess that. Well, this is Christian science. As an example of this, watch this video clip from Andrew Womack, a prominent word faith preacher in the States. Watch this. If you are reaping sickness, it's because you've thought sickness. It may not be that you've thought, all right, I want to be sick. But you've thought things that allow sickness to dominate you. Such things as, well, I'm only human. I'm just a man. It's flu season. i got to get sick because it's flu season. You may not have sat there and have thought, I want the flu. But you've thought things that made you inferior to flu and that made you only human, you were denying and not focused on who you are in Christ, that no plague will come nigh your dwelling, and you have thought things that made you susceptible to Satan stealing your health. So if you are sick, it's because you've been thinking sick thoughts. Well, that's new thought philosophy. That's new age. And that's what we have in the modern word faith movement, cultic doctrine wrapped in some Christian lingo to make it appear to be Christian when it in fact is not. Okay, I want to give you a, a little overview of the doctrines of the Word Faith Movement. We'll look at the doctrine of positive confession. The faith preachers teach that if you are a Christian, you can use your words to create your own reality, to literally speak things into existence. Watch this from Kenneth Copeland. So when we came into this earth, all this is set aside. Well, Bill, it, it, 
We don't need it in heaven. We need it here. It was designed to be here. So how are we going to get it here? We have his word to put into our heart, into our mind, come out our mouth with the same creative force as his that does what? Brings from that spiritual realm into material reality. reality. I don't know how to say it either. So Kenneth Copeland, can y'all hear that? Can you hear the, you can? Okay. So Kenneth Copeland says that we have the ability to, to take God's words, put them in our mouth, and we speak them, and our words have the same creative power as does God. Watch this from Levi Lusco. Levi Lusco is kind of a younger, hipper version of Kenneth Copeland. I want you to know that when God made you, made you in his image, the image of a creator who created by speaking. He said, let there be light, and there was. He said, let there be an earth, let there be dolphins, and there were because he spoke them. He's a creative God who spoke these things into existence, and then he made you in his image. So you were created by a creator to create. And one of the chief ways you create is by participating with God in creation through speaking. The Bible echoes from the Old to the New Testament that life and death are caught up in the power of the tongue. So every single time you speak, there's an act of creation. When you speak, there's an act of creation. You see, the faith preachers blur that line between God the Creator and us His created. They demote God, and then in turn, they deify man. This from Creflo Dollar, uh, undoubtedly the most appropriately named of the prosperity preachers. But Creflo Dollar says, As spiritual beings who possess the nature of God, we have the ability to speak things into existence just like God did. So they literally teach that we can speak things into existence just like God. Dear friends, the word in Hebrew for create, to create out of nothing, is the word bara. And only God baras. That is only something that only God can do. They blur that line between God the creator and us his created. You remember the account in Luke's gospel of the angel Gabriel giving the announcement to Elizabeth and her husband Zechariah that they would have a baby, right? Baby boy, remember that? But they were older, right? They were advanced in years past that stage of life. And when Zechariah heard about this, he questioned it a little bit, didn't he? What did God do in response to Zechariah's questioning? What did God do? Closed his mouth, right? Made him a mute. For a very interesting take on why God closed Zechariah's mouth, watch this from Joel Osteen. Joel Osteen says this, Why did God take away his speech? It's because God knew that Zechariah's negative words would cancel out his plan. See, God knows the power of our words. He knows that we prophesy our future, and he knew Zechariah's own negative words would stop his plan. Wow. So according to Joel Osteen, God was up in heaven, 
looking down and he saw Zechariah making negative confessions and God just went into a panic. You know, oh my goodness, you know, well, what am I ever going to do? I, I wasn't counting on this. And so in a last ditch effort to save his plan of redemption, God had to reach down and close Zechariah's mouth and make him a, make him a mute. Whew, boy. <laughs> that was a close one. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. The God of the prosperity gospel, little g God, is a very weak, very effeminate, very indecisive God. And it is not the God of the Bible. It's not the God of the Bible. Foundational to the prosperity gospel is this doctrine, the little God's doctrine. All of the faith preachers teach that if you are a Christian, you are in fact a little God. Watch this from Creflo Dollar. Now, in verse 26 and verse 27, God now submits himself to this principle of everything producing after its own kind. And in verse 26 and 27, let's read it out loud. Ready? Read. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Now that's interesting because if everything produces after its own kind, we now see God producing man. And if God now produces man and everything produces after its own kind, if horses get together, they produce what? And if dogs get together, they produce what? If cats get together, they produce what? But if the Godhead gets together and say, let us make man, then what are they producing? They're producing gods. Now, I got to hit this thing real hard in the very beginning because I ain't got time to go through all this. But I'm going to say to you right now, you are gods, little g. You are gods because you came from God and you are gods. You're not just human. The only human part about you is this physical body that you live in. The real me is just like God. The real me is just like God. Blasphemy. Blasphemy. Dear friends, when the Bible says that God created man in his image, that means that as human beings, you and I are the pinnacle of his creation. We are the pinnacle of his creation. And we have the potential, we have the capacity through a saving relationship with Jesus Christ to know God. None of the other created order has that privilege and ability, but we do. Watch this video clip. I'm gonna show you two video clips from Kenneth Copeland one from the late 1980s, and then one from last year. And I want to show you these two clips from these uh, disparate amounts of time to show you that 
Contrary to what a lot of people assert, Kenneth Copeland and these faith preachers have not changed what they are teaching at all. Watch this from the late 1980s. And I say this with all respect so that it don't upset you too bad. But I say it anyway. When I read in the Bible where he says, I am, I just smile and say, yes, I am too. When I read in the Bible where he says, I am, I just smile and I say, I am too. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Watch this from Kenneth Copeland from last year. Let this mind be in you. Let this be the way you think. Let this mind be in you, which was also in the anointed Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And you do not think it robbery. You don't, it, it's not taking anything away from God. Right. To be equal with our Father. To be equal with our Lord Jesus. He's the one that caused it to happen. And our good God said, oh yeah, they're my children. Of course they're equal to me. I gave birth to them. Just creepy, isn't it? I mean, Kenneth Copeland is just creepy. <laughs> but flat out saying that we are equal to God, equal to Him. Watch this from Chris Vallotton. Chris Vallotton is kind of like the right hand man of Bill Johnson out of Bethel Church. You've heard of Bethel Music? Well, this is where Bethel Music comes from. Watch this. The reason why you can heal the sick, raise the dead, and cast out demons is because of who you are. Jesus didn't say, pray for the sick. He said, heal the sick. Well, only God can heal the sick. That's why he said, the imitators of God. Listen, I can't heal the sick. Only God can heal the sick. That's right. You are sons of God. In fact, Jesus quoted the psalmist when he said, You are gods, and the word is gods is little g. Ye is big G, and you are little g. You're little g, God. I understand we're not Mormons. Don't take this too far. Too late. You already did take it too far. You know, it's interesting that he would say, I understand, you know, we're not Mormons. Well, that's exactly what Mormonism teaches exactly what Mormonism teaches. You see, it's the same basic heresy. It's just packaged a little bit differently for different audiences. Same basic heresy. Now watch this from Stephen Furtick. Stephen Furtick on paper is not word of faith. On paper, he's actually a Baptist, a Southern Baptist. Uh, but watch this. This from last year, 2021. With a person. I'm not in covenant with a political party. I'm in covenant with God Almighty. I am God Almighty. I am God Almighty. That is a shocking statement. Now, when that came out and people started picking up on it and it was 
kind of making the rounds on social media. Some people were uh, defending Stephen Furtick in a sense. They were saying, well, that was just, Stephen Furtick didn't really mean to say that. It was just an inarticulate moment. He got a little tongue-tied, you know, kind of this, a Joe Biden moment, you know, just kind of lost his train of thought. And, and I was, uh, I was, uh, I don't, yeah. I didn't vote for the guy, I'm just telling you. Um, I was tempted to think, you know, I, you know, I'm no fan of Stephen Furtick. I've been calling him a false teacher for a long time, but I thought, you know, surely he didn't actually mean to say that, you know. I, but then I came across this sermon from two years before in which he said practically the exact same thing. Watch. God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. You are not my maker. You will not be my mirror. When God said, I am to Moses, you know, my name is I am. He was trying to get him to see you are as I am. After I saw that, I thought, you know, I think he actually did mean to say, I am God Almighty. That's exactly what he meant to say. The little God's doctrine is crucial to the word faith movement. I'm going to show you why. Let's look at what the faith preachers teach about the doctrine of the fall. Number one, the faith preachers teach that Adam was an exact duplicate of God. He was not a little like God. He was not a lot like God. That God literally reproduced himself in Adam. And Adam could stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with God without any consciousness of inferiority whatsoever. Adam was another Yahweh. Well, we all know what happened, right? Adam sinned. Which, of course, begs the question, if Adam was Yahweh and he sinned, was it Yahweh who sinned? You see, when you carry these doctrines out to their logical conclusion, you see how dark and heretical they really are. But when Adam sinned, he lost his deity, lost his godhood, transferred it to Satan. When this happened, the real Yahweh God lost his legal right to planet Earth and was kicked out. And so, as we sit here this morning, according to classic word faith theology, the real Yahweh God is up there somewhere, but he's got no access to planet Earth. He's illegal in his own creation. He's been kicked out, gone. See you later. Well, somebody has to fill that void, right? So, Satan is all too eager to step up to the plate, and Satan becomes the legal God of planet Earth. Dear friends, Satan is not the legal God of planet Earth. God is the legal God of planet Earth. Psalm 42, verse 1, The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Satan is referred to as the God of this age in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. But Paul was making a theological point, not a legal point. Paul was saying that this world is so fallen, so sinful, so depraved, that it follows after Satan as though he is the God of this age, but not the legal God of planet Earth. But according to word faith theology, guess what happens when a person gets saved? Guess what he gets back? Ah, he gets his Godhood back.
He regains his deity. He becomes God again, just like Adam supposedly was before he fell. And this, dear friends, is why the faith preachers hold so tenaciously to health and wealth, because we're gods. And a God cannot be poor, and a God certainly cannot be sick. You see, so many people think that this movement is just about health and wealth, Rolex watches, private jets, healing. No, health and wealth are just some of the bad, low-hanging fruit off of a rotten theological tree, a tree that is rotten at its core. And health and wealth is just some of the bad fruit hanging off of those dead branches. But I will say this, the promise of health and wealth is one of the things that makes this movement so appealing and yet so dangerous at the same time. Because the prosperity gospel says this, come to Jesus and he'll make you wealthy and he'll heal your body. They appeal to two of the most basic and universal of all human desires. Most people want to be wealthy. And almost everybody would like to be healed, right? I mean, there's a few people out there that seem to enjoy being sick just because they like the attention that comes with it. But most of us, if we had our preferences right, we, we would rather not be sick. So, so let me get this straight. So you're telling me that if, if I come to Jesus, if I become a Christian, and if I you know, ask Jesus into my heart to use that lingo that's not in the Bible, but if I do that, then God will make me rich and I'll never be sick again? Sign me up. You know, I, I, I like that, Jesus. You know, do you have two of them? I'll, I'll take them both. But is that the real gospel? Or is the real gospel something a little bit more like this? Come to Jesus because you're a sinner. And because of your sin, the righteous wrath of God abides on you. And the only way to have that wrath removed is to repent of sin, turn from sin, and place your trust in the risen Lord Jesus Christ and what He accomplished for you on the cross. And then you will have heaven one day. You'll have heaven. But on this earth, we're not promised money. We're not promised healing. What are we promised? The Bible promises us persecution doesn't it? What does the Bible say? Some of those who live godly in Christ Jesus may be persecuted. Is that what it says? All who live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But that's just not as popular, you see, as saying come to Jesus because he'll make you rich. You won't have to be sick anymore. Friends, if you come to Jesus for those reasons, you've come for the wrong reasons. You have trusted a false Jesus and a false gospel. And a false gospel does not save. Does not save. I want us to look a little bit at how the faith preachers soften sin. It's not that the prosperity preachers never use the word sin. They'll use the word sin occasionally, not a lot. But they never define sin biblically. Sin is never defined as high treason that we commit against a thrice holy God that, incurred, that incurs his righteous wrath. It's never described that way. 
Rather, sin is just something that holds you back. It prevents you from having your best life now. It just hurts you. So just to not hurt yourself, you, you should probably not sin. But it's, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with the wrath of God. No, no, nothing like that. Watch this video clip. This is from Jesse Duplantis and Kenneth Copeland. And Jesse Duplantis is talking about Zacchaeus. You remember Zacchaeus, the wee little man, wee little man was he, climbed up in a sycamore tree. Did y'all sing that song when you were growing up here? We did in the States, but watch this from Jesse Duplantis. You know, I, I was preaching this the other day, that opposites attract, but so the outcasts attract. Zacchaeus was an outcast, but so was Jesus on the other spectrum, an outcast. Now think about that. When he saw that man, Zach, I could just call him Zach. He saw something in Zacchaeus yes, that did. no one else did. You know what he saw? Most people believe in original sin. Some people believe in original sin. He believed in original goodness. That's yeah. what the Lord told me. He said, I believe in original goodness. I could see the good in that man. Yeah, he did. <laughs> Jesus told Jesse, I, I believe in original goodness. I, I could see the good in that man. Really? Really? There's... There's a number of verses that we could cite in opposition to this, and I'm sure y'all probably have verses popping up in your head right now. One of them, Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Does that sound like original goodness to you? doesn't to me either. Romans 3. 10 through 12, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. There is none who does good, not even one. The Bible knows nothing about original goodness. It does teach original sin. This from Rick Warren. Rick Warren is one of the world's most popular Pastors. Rick Warren says, for me, now there's his first problem. Those two words, for me. Hey, Rick, doesn't matter what something means to you. What matters is, is what does the Bible actually mean? But he says, for me, hell would be if God showed me all he could have done through my life and all the blessing I could have known if I had just trusted him a little bit more. Really, that's what hell is to you, huh, Rick? Well, that's not how the Bible describes hell. The Bible describes hell as a lake of fire where there'll be wailing, weeping, gnashing of teeth, where the worm does not die, the fire will not be quenched, the full undiluted fury of God's wrath will be poured out for all of eternity on the ungodly. That's how the Bible describes hell. Rick Warren is a false teacher. He is a false teacher. Now, I want to show you this, this video clip. Now, I'm going to have to explain it before I show it to you because this clip is going to show some clips of John MacArthur and Paul Washer. Good guys, okay? So, good guys. I don't want anybody to be confused. Oh, they, Justin has John MacArthur in his Clouds Out Water seminar. No. It's going to show clips of John MacArthur and Paul Washer contrasted with Todd White. Todd White is Word of Faith. Some of you know 
I can tell by your reaction, you know who Todd White is. The guy with the dreadlocks goes, ar goes around the streets lengthening people's legs, and we're going to look at that in just a little bit. But watch this. Todd White claims that he is sinless. He claims that he has not sinned a single time since his supposed conversion. So I want you to notice the contrast between Todd White, a false teacher, and real men of God, John MacArthur and Paul Washer. Now when you see a Christian calls himself a Christian or herself, and they appear to be very content with where they are spiritually, and they want to make sure you know how really holy they are and how pious they are, that is not to indicate to you that indeed they are holy, but rather indeed they don't understand the Word of God. He came and gave me this blank canvas. He came and gave me this pure heart, and I've never violated it with anything. Because I love Jesus. My hands are clean. My heart is pure. I love Him with all my heart. I'm going to stand before Him, and He's going to say, well done. What's He going to say when you stand before Him? You can actually have the word so strong inside of your heart that you never have to slip. People are like, well, that's false. That's not true. Well, you're wrong. I live with me. And so for 13 years, I've been free from that. I've never looked lusty with lust at a woman, ever. I live with me. My kids will tell you that I'm a man of God. I'm a father. Because God doesn't say he wants you 97% pure. I mean, was Jesus 97% pure? That is evidence not of their holiness, but an evidence of their ignorance of God's holy law. If you wake up in love with Jesus, if you go to sleep in love with Jesus, if you wake up in the middle of the night in love with Jesus, you will fulfill the first command. The first commandment is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. There has never been a human being on this planet of all the thousands of years of humanity, of all the billions of people who have walked this earth, there has never been, of all that mass, not one person who for one fraction of a second loved the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. For the better we understand the infinite perfection of God's holy law, the better we will understand our own imperfection. True? I'm not holier than thou. I just love Jesus 24-7. Quite the contrast, is it not? I want to show you these clips. Um, these may not be names with which you're familiar. J.D. Greer and Ed Litton. Uh, they are recent presidents of the Southern Baptist Convention. The Southern Baptist Convention, at least theoretically, is not word of faith. But uh, the diminishing of sin is not just found in word faith circles. It's also in more supposedly conservative evangelical circles. And Southern Baptists are not, at least theoretically, they're not charismatic. They claim to have a high view of Scripture. They affirm in, in uh, inerrancy of Scripture, infallibility of Scripture exclusivity of Christ, supposedly a conservative denomination. And yet, I want to show you two, two video clips here from the uh, previous president of the Southern Baptist Convention, Ed Litton, and then J.D. Greer was one before him. J.D. Greer's sermon, the clip you're about to see from J.D. Greer, this was a sermon preached in 2019, and Ed Litton's sermon was preached one year, almost to the day, one year later in 2020. 
in their preaching on homosexuality. Okay, they're talking about homosexuality. Watch this. Jen Wilkin, who's one of our favorite Bible teachers here and who's actually leading our women's conference, she said, she said, we ought to whisper about what the Bible whispers about and we ought to shout about what it shouts about. And the Bible appears more to whisper when it comes to sexual sin compared to its shouts about materialism and religious pride. In the Bible, sexual sin is whispered compared to the shout God makes about greed and judgmentalism. So they both say that the Bible whispers about sexual sin and yet it shouts about greed and pride and materialism. The Bible whispers about sexual sin, does it? Really? Well, my Bible says that sexual sin is not to even be named among God's people. In fact, sexual sin is singled out in the Bible as especially dangerous, especially injurious, because it is sin that is committed inside of the body, not outside of the body. And sexual sin, unlike other sin, it leaves a stain. It leaves a wound. Don't misunderstand me. Can we be forgiven of sexual sin? Absolutely. Sexual sin is not the unforgivable sin. But it does leave a wound. It does leave a wound. And I would tell J.D. Greer and Ed Litton, ask the residents of Sodom and Gomorrah as fire and brimstone was raining down upon them from heaven. Ask them if that sounded to them like a whisper. Watch this. Assuming it's hard for LGBTQ people to get to heaven. Where do we go wrong thinking LGBT people can't go to heaven? Homosexuality does not send you to hell. You know how I know that? Because heterosexuality does not send you to heaven. Homosexuality does not send people to hell. How do I know that? Because heterosexuality doesn't send people to heaven. Now, aside from the obvious plagiarism, which is what that is, they both say homosexuality does not send you to hell. How do I know that heterosexuality does not send you to heaven? That is one of the dumbest things I have ever heard come from the mouth of a preacher. You would have to, you would have, to have a theological IQ below freezing to make a statement like that. Homosexuality absolutely will send you to hell. Read 1 Corinthians 6. Paul says, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor the effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor revilers, or covetous swindlers, or drunkards will inherit the kingdom of God. It absolutely will send you to hell. It's not the only thing that will send you to hell. All sin carries with it a, a death sentence. But it certainly will send you to hell. It's just a stunning thing to say. Again, it's not the unforgivable sin. Homosexuality is not the unforgivable sin. Because Paul goes on in verse 11 and he says, For such were some of you. You were those things. You were a drunkard, but you're not anymore. You were a reviler, but you're not anymore. You were a covetous, but you're not anymore. You were a homosexual, but you're not anymore. Because you were washed. 
You are sanctified. You are justified. There is freedom in Christ. But that is a stunningly unbiblical thing to say. And these men are pastors. Pastors. Presidents of the Southern Baptist Convention. The largest Protestant denomination in the entire world. Absolutely stunning. I want us to look quickly at what the faith preachers teach about the sovereignty of God. They have a very, very low view of God's sovereignty. Watch this from Miles Monroe, Benny Hinn and Miles Monroe. Pastor, we get the mind of God about His will, we pray it. When we pray it, we give Him legal right to perform it. Yes. Let me define prayer for you in this show. Prayer is man giving God permission or license to interfere in earth's affairs. In other words, prayer is earthly license for heavenly interference. That's incredible. That is incredible. God could do nothing on earth, nothing has God ever done on earth without a human giving him access. So he's always looking for that somebody. Always looking for a human to give him power, permission. In other words, God has the power, but you get the permission. God got the authority and the power, but you got the license. So even though God could do anything, he can only do what you permit him to do. God can only do what we permit him to do. Dear friends, I would submit to you this morning that God can do whatever he jolly well wants to do and is not terribly concerned about whether or not he has our permission to do it. Watch this from Andrew Womack. But you know what, when you ask a question, and I know that many people have said this, maybe in these exact words or possibly you've rephrased it, but you've said, why does God let things like this happen? You know, when you say something like that, that shows that you are making an assumption that God could just control things if He wanted to, that God could stop this. And you know what? That is an absolutely wrong assumption. And I can guarantee you with a lot of the religious doctrine that we have, especially the sovereignty of God teaching, there are going to be people all over the world that are just shocked that I would say something like that because they believe that, of course, God can do anything He wants to. That is not true. God can do anything He wants to. That is not true. Really. Hmm. Well, my Bible says something a little bit different. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. I actually showed this verse one time to someone who was in the Word Faith Movement. And he said, oh, that, that just means that God can do whatever He wants to do in heaven, but not on earth. You see, if he wants to do, do something on the earth, then he has to have our permission. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all of the deeps. Oops. Friends, God can do whatever he wants to do and is not losing a great deal of anthropomorphic sleep over whether or not he has our permission to do it. I want us to look at 
real quickly here what the faith preachers teach about Jesus. If they have a different Jesus, they have a different gospel. The Christology of the word faith movement is a weird blending of these two heresies. Arianism was a heresy named after Arius, an early 4th century priest. And Arianism held that Jesus was a created being. And therefore, that constituted an essential denial of the deity of Christ. If Jesus was created, then he cannot be God. God cannot be created. Adoptionism is another heresy of the late 2nd century, which held that Jesus was simply a pious man. A man, regular old guy like you and me, a man upon whom God came and adopted as his son at his baptism. In other words, Jesus was just another man, just a regular old guy like one of us. But then at his baptism, God adopted him as his son. And the word faith Christology is this weird blending of these two different heresies. This from Creflo Dollar. Creflo Dollar said this. And somebody said, well, Jesus came as God. Well, how many of you know the Bible says God never sleeps nor slumbers? And yet in the book of Mark, we see Jesus asleep in the back of the boat. Jesus came as a man. And at age 30, God is now getting ready to demonstrate to us and give us an example of what a man with the anointing can do. Y'all, please listen to me. Please listen to me. This ain't no heresy. I'm not some false prophet. As a general rule of thumb, if a preacher actually has to tell you that he's not a false prophet, <laughs> chances are. Chances are. But Creflo Dollar says that because God never sleeps nor slumbers, and yet Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat, and therefore Jesus was not God. That's ridiculous. Dear friends, when Jesus came to this earth, co-eternal with the Father, pre-existent, but when he came to this earth, he took upon himself a human nature. He's always been God, but he took upon himself a human nature, so Jesus was one person with how many natures? Two. Two distinct natures. He was the God-man. And as the God-man, Jesus experienced the same things that you and I experience. He got hungry, and he got thirsty, and guess what? He got sleepy. It does not mean that he was not God. Not at all. Watch this from, uh, let me see here. I'm trying to pick and choose what I want to show you just for time's sake. Bill Johnson. Bill Johnson, pastor of Bethel Church. Bill Johnson says this. He, referring to Jesus, performed miracles, wonders, and signs as a man in right relationship to God, not as God. If he performed miracles because he was God, they would be unattainable for us. This is a denial of the deity of Christ. This is a different Jesus than the Jesus of the Bible. And I might point out, and I take no joy in this, absolutely not, but Bill Johnson is well known for his teaching on healing. It's always God's will to be healed. In fact, Bill Johnson, in my full seminar, if I had time to show it to you, he says this, quote, I refuse to create a theology that allows for sickness. 
He refuses to create a theology that allows for sickness. And he teaches that if you're sick, and I have this on video as well, he says if you're sick, he said the fault is not, does not lie with God. It lies with you. I take no joy in saying this, but just about a week ago, Bill Johnson's own wife, Benny Johnson, died of cancer. What the faith preachers preach doesn't even work for them. If what the faith, pre if what the faith preachers preach doesn't work for them, then that should be a clue to them that there just might be something wrong with what they're preaching. Okay, I want to show you, uh, I want to turn a corner here a little bit and talk about some of the um, dramatic things of the charismatic movement. Because the charismatic movement, whether they admit it or not, is based upon experiences. Well, I've experienced these things, so I know they're true. I've experienced being slain in the Spirit, so I know it's true. I know it's of God because it's happened to me. I've experienced uh, speaking in tongues. I've experienced these things, so I know it's true because it's happened to me. Dear friends, pagans experience the exact same things that charismatics do. The exact same things. They get slain in the Spirit. They jerk and they shake. They laugh uncontrollably. All the same things that charismatics do. They speak in tongues in the exact same way. And I, want to, I want to prove it to you. I'm going to show you a video clip. This video clip is going to begin. You'll see uh, the term Christian. And Christian will be in quotation marks. Because what follows Christian will be video clips from charismatic churches. And then you're going to see a word that says cultic. And what follows cultic will be clips from something known as Hindu Kundalini. Okay? And I want you to notice the comparison. I want you to notice how they are exactly alike. What, what happened to you? It's Rodney Howard Brown. I was sitting here. I was sitting here. Marilah kita selalu tertawa untuk diri, untuk orang lain, tertawa untuk keluarga, masyarakat, dunia, dan negara. Being drunk in the spirit, Heidi Baker.
the same thing. You can tell no difference. They're exactly alike. They're exactly alike. I want to um, let you listen to a clip of someone speaking in tongues, glossolalia. Listen to this. Charismatic speaking in tongues, right? Except it's not. It's this guy, Terence McKenna. Terence McKenna was an ethnobotanist, whatever that is. He wrote on the theoretical origins of human consciousness and rave culture and was an expert on metaphysics, shamanism, and psychedelic drugs. An expert, mind you, on psychedelic drugs. Speaking in tongues. And he does it in the exact same way that charismatics do. Exact same way. Lots of pagans speak in tongues. Hindus speak in tongues. This guy, who is not a Christian on any level, he was just some dope-smoking, tree-hugging weirdo. And he speaks in tongues in the exact same way. So the fact that pagans do these things in the exact same way that charismatics do them, that, that tells us that just because someone is exhibiting these behaviors is not an indication that that ability is coming from God. Pagans do it too. Dear friends, no matter how real an experience may seem to us, if that experience does not plumb with God's word, then we have to reject it. We have to reject it. We cannot interpret the Bible by what we experience. We must interpret our experiences by the Bible. Remember a few minutes ago I teased Todd White that we were going to return to Todd White? So you've seen Todd White. Todd White is known for leg lengthening. So what Todd White does is he goes out on the streets and he takes his cameraman along with him and he goes up to people at random on the streets and has them sit down in a chair and he'll hold one foot in each hand and he'll put the feet together and in, in, inevitably, invariably, every person he goes up to and does this, every single person has one leg that is just about that much shorter than the other one. And he lengthens their legs commands the short leg to grow. Every single person he goes up to has this problem. So the real pandemic out there, forget about COVID. <laughs> the real pandemic is that apparently 100% of the population is walking around with one leg just about that much shorter than the other one. That's the pandemic. But he commands the short leg to grow to be the same length as the long leg. Watch, here's an example of how he does it. Watch. You're one leg shorter than the other one? And it throws you back out. Okay, so regardless of, like, well, yeah, no matter what. So what I'll do, regardless of what you believe, I'm going to pray for you, and Jesus is going to grow your leg out and heal your back. You don't even have to believe, dude. So you get into the, the weirdest place of belief that you want. You can unbelieve as much as you want. 
Okay, I want to pause it here just for a second. Did you notice how he says, it doesn't matter what you believe. You can, you can disbelieve as much as you want. It doesn't matter. Do you know why he can say that with such confidence? Because he knows full well that what he's about to do is a trick. And God's going to grow your leg out and heal your back. I promise. Man, you grow right now. Jesus' name. Look at it. See it? Whoa. Look at that. Do you guys see that right there? Yes. It's longer now than the other one. <laughs> so, Father, I thank you for a brand new back off. I thank you that it's not about religion. It's about Jesus. You heard the guy in the background. He said, look, it's, it's longer now than the other one. So... I guess God just kind of overshot it a little bit. And so now the, the long leg is, is now the short leg, and the, and the leg that was short is now the long leg. So now I guess Todd White's going to have to go and command the now short leg that was a long leg to grow to match the other one. You know, if, if God keeps overshooting this thing, pretty soon this guy's going to be 12 feet tall. But, I mean, let's, let's be fair. Before, after, how did he do it? He just talked to the short leg and it grew. It's amazing. How did he do it? This is how he did it. Watch. Now we're going to see Todd White's clip sped up quite a bit and looped back and forth. Now this is where we can see what's really going on here. The leg on our right is supposed to be the short leg, and this is the leg which should be miraculously growing, but it's not. Look at the leg on our left. That's where all the action is. That's what's actually being manipulated. You can see that Todd is actually pivoting or shifting the foot of the so-called long leg so that the heels match. Now, he's doing this very slowly over time, but it's painfully obvious when you speed up the clip. It's a trick. It's a parlor trick. Charlatans have been doing this for over a hundred years. It's just that Todd White has made it popular with the advent of YouTube. It's a complete fraud. If Todd White can really command legs to grow, then why doesn't he ever go up to an amputee? Why doesn't he ever go up to someone who's actually missing a leg or missing an arm? Command that to grow, Todd. And if Todd can command legs to grow, then surely he could command cancer cells to die. So the first place Todd White should be going, have you ever heard of a hospital in the United States called St. Jude? St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. It's a, it's a hospital specifically and only for sick children with cancer. And, and they provide their services for free. It's funded by private donors, and it's strictly to treat kids with cancer. So the first place Todd White ought to be going is the St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and heal those sick kids, some of them dying of cancer. But he won't go anywhere near St. Jude because he knows he's a fraud. He knows he's a fraud. I want to show you a video clip from a guy named Seth Dahl. Seth Dahl is on staff at Bethel Church in Redding, California. Now this clip is going to begin with uh, the Bethel ministry logo and some introductory kind of music, their little theme music. 
And I point that out for this reason. What you're about to see is not something that accidentally kind of slipped past the editors. This was not something that it got out and I thought, ooh, mm, I wish he hadn't said that. We probably shouldn't have put that on the air. No, what you're about to see, they are actually using in their advertisements. In other words, they're proud of this. Watch. I had a pastor say some things that hurt me really bad. Hurt me so bad, messed me up. Emotionally, mentally, really messed me up. Nothing physical, nothing like that. A, a, a pastor I, I really respected said some words and hurt me so bad. And one time I was laying on the floor, actually it was in this room, I'm laying on the floor, and in, an, in a vision, in an encounter with God, in a vision, Jesus picks me up and holds me so close that I can't see anything, and he holds me so close, and Jesus starts to weep, and he says, please forgive me. Please forgive me. I said, what are you talking about? Please forgive you. He said, when that pastor hurt you, it's as if I hurt you. Because he's a member of my body. Please forgive me. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? That is one of the most blasphemous things I have ever heard. That the thrice holy, sinless, spotless Son of God would come down to a sinful, vile creature and ask that thing... For forgiveness? Unbelievable. One of the great ironies in this entire movement, dear friends, is that word faith, new apostolic reformation, the vast majority, in fairness, not all, but the vast majority of charismatics would look at someone like me who is a cessationist. By that I mean that I believe that not all of the spiritual gifts have ceased, but only the apostolic, the sign gifts have ceased. They would look at someone like me and they would say, Oh, you don't believe in the Holy Spirit. You don't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. On contraire. I, as a cessationist, I cede no ground in my view, in my doctrine of the Holy Spirit to these folks. And neither should you. Because I do not believe that someone can be indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God and teach the things they teach, utter the blasphemies they utter, offer the false prophecies that they offer, and do so with reckless abandon and feel no prick of conscience. They have been called to repent of these blasphemies and heresies and false prophecies by me and many others. And yet they don't. They continue in it. And they go deeper and deeper into it. That is not someone who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And if you're wondering, oh, is Justin saying that they're not saved? That's exactly what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. 
the Holy Spirit of God is not a weakling. He is strong. If he is strong enough to save us, he is strong enough to deliver us out of deception. And if they were truly Christians, if they were truly indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, then the first time they uttered one of these blasphemous heresies, the Holy Spirit of God would drop them to their knees under such heavy conviction. And yet that doesn't happen. And the reason it doesn't happen is because they're not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And by the way, when you sing uh, Bethel music in your church, and I'm not saying you specifically, I'm just general you, Bethel or Hillsong music, you need to know that's where it's coming from. That's where it's coming from. Hillsong is the same way as Bethel. They're cut from the same cloth. And Hillsong is undoubtedly probably all of you know it's been exposed in a documentary, and Hillsong is riddled with sexual immorality going all the way up to the top. Brian Houston himself. These are cults. They're cults. So when you sing Bethel music, when you sing Hillsong music, you need to understand you're singing music that comes from a cult. And they use their music as one of their primary ways of bringing people into their cult. That's how they do their evangelism. And the unsuspecting person sitting out there in the pew on a Sunday morning, looking up at the screen, singing a song, and there's the lyrics. And, and there in the fine print at the bottom, it says, Music by Bethel. Music by Hillsong. Oh, Bethel. Hillsong. Well, they must be okay. After all, we're singing their music in our church, so I think I'll check them out. That's how they do their quote-unquote evangelism. There is no excuse, none, for singing Bethel music or Hillsong music or Elevation music in your church. None. No justification. And to kind of drive the point home, to prove that this is a cult. I want to show you, and we'll close with this, I want to show you three short clips from a baptismal service that they had a few years ago. They do their baptisms on Sunday night, and it's not every Sunday night, but every three or four Sunday nights they'll do a baptismal service. And I'm going to, I'm going to take three short clips from just one service. The Bethel staff person is going to go up to, they have all their baptismal candidates in the front, and he goes up to each one and he asks the baptismal candidate two questions. Number one, what is your name? Number two, why do you want to be baptized? Those are the two questions. And then the baptismal candidate answers the questions and then they get baptized. Watch. One of the great privileges of being on staff here is that we get to baptize people. I'm going to ask a couple of questions. And then we're going to go ahead and begin to baptize people tonight. Well, two of those questions is one is your name, and the second of all is why you're being baptized tonight. And so let's start with you. What, what was your name, and uh, why are you wanting to be baptized tonight? <laughs> My name's Michaela. <laughs> and, and, and why are you wanting to be baptized? Oh, Jesus is king. <laughs> 
I love him so much, and I'm a child of God. <laughs> Come on, him. Come on, give her a round of applause, amen. That's do you think that young lady has any idea what she's doing? No. Any idea of the gravity of what baptism is and what it means? No, not a clue. She's acting like she's intoxicated. Now, she's not really, I don't think she's really intoxicated. That's just their hyper-spiritual being drunk in the spirit, that kind of stuff. But it's a joke for her. It's a joke. Well, after this lady left, this lady comes up. And why'd you come for? What was your name? And tell us why you're being baptized tonight. My name is Camille, and I hope that tonight's baptism, excuse me, will cause some positive influences in my life, positive things in my life, future opportunities, and strengthen my relationship with God. Camille, that's amazing. Thank you. Do you think she has any idea what she's doing? No, she says, I hope my baptism will cause some positive things in my life. I call that the good vibrations baptism. <laughs> she has no idea what she's doing. She has no, no understanding of baptism at all. At all. What you're seeing here, this is the fruit of what is coming from the pulpit. Bill Johnson. Believe it or not, it gets worse. Watch this. Friend, why don't you come over? Tell us your name and tell us why you're being baptized tonight. Hi, I'm Crystal. And <laughs> I just know that God is calling me to be a warrior for his animal kingdom and that I'm to lead angels of our, an army of angels to protect animals across the world. <laughs> And I just know I can't do it without God. Come on, give Christoph a round of applause. That's amazing, sweet. Do what? She wants to be baptized because she wants to lead an army of angels and be a warrior for the animal kingdom. Hakuna Matata. <laughs> she has absolutely... No idea what she's doing. But they baptized her. They baptized her. This is a cult. New Apostolic Reformation, this is a cult. Preaches a different Jesus, a different gospel, and they are leading millions upon millions of people down the primrose path, straight to hell, and they're doing it all in the name of Jesus. These are not minor issues, dear ones. These issues go to the heart of the gospel. 26 of the 27 books in the New Testament directly warn us about false doctrine and or false teachers. Only the book of Philemon has nothing to say about it directly. But 26 of the 27 books in the New Testament do, and most of them multiple times. Warning about false teachers is a prominent theme in the New Testament. It is something that we must do, and it is something that we must do if we love people and if we love Christ. Hope this has been helpful for you, dear ones, just to... 
kind of a jet tour over the word faith, New Apostolic Reformation movement. Very serious issues, very serious. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, for all of us who love you, who love your word, who love the truth, these things grieve us. They should grieve us. But at the same time, they don't necessarily surprise us. Because your word that we love, that we read, that we study, your word tells us that the time will come when people will no longer endure sound doctrine. But they will heap to themselves teachers who tickle the ears. They will turn aside from the truth and turn to fables and myths. And that's what we're seeing. So Lord, uh, we are not surprised by this. May we not be discouraged by this, but at the same time, may this be a, a sobering reminder for us uh, of our task as believers to do what Paul said in Titus chapter 1, to both teach sound doctrine and refute those who contradict it. All for the glory of Christ Jesus our King. It's in His name we pray. Amen.